Hello, everybody, and welcome to Untether.tv. I am your host and founder, Rob Woodbridge. Listen, uh, a while back, maybe six months, five months ago, uh, I had the great pleasure of sitting in on uh, something called UX Camp Ottawa. And I sat down uh, to be mesmerized by my guest today. Uh, it is uh, Johan Sonnen, who is the creative director of Involution Studios. Uh, I'm going to bring him in now. Johan, welcome. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. Listen, I, you know, uh, there, there's a whole bunch. I want to get through this because a great introduction because, uh, you know, two of the words we're talking about this, two of the words I can't say are involution, which is unfortunately the name of your company, and emeritus, which is unfortunately, you know, where, the companies that you've left. But you are emeritus of Apple, MIT, and the NCSA, and you've also, which is amazing, been featured in the New York Times and Billboard magazine. Like the only other person I know that has been Bruce Springsteen, right? The balance of the two. So you're up there with him in my eyes, Johan and Bruce. Well, that, that is an unfortunate comparison. Uh, for the most part, uh, for his sake, uh, resumes are a ruse. Uh, so whenever you see that on paper, it's just completely different in, in the flesh. Uh, so let's see if I can, you know, stand up to like one tenth of that kind of conditioning. Absolutely. I think you can. I've seen you speak. And the topic we're going to be talking about here is design is medicine. And what really struck me is this uh, this evolution of medicine and health and a living and how a technology is going to play a uh, like almost a background piece to uh, sensing your health and making sure that it's a beautiful and wonderful experience. So we're going to be walking through all of these things. Uh, Johan is in uh, Arlington, Massachusetts, which is a step outside of Boston. Uh, but before we even go there, I got to know a little bit about Involution Studios, aside from the name. Uh, and it's a tongue twister. I, you know, I'm not very good with words anyways. And But what, what do you guys do? Uh, well, what we pretend to do <laughs> is uh, design services, software, and products and things, uh, usually for the emerging technology sector. So a company will come to us and they have a particular technology they have in the research lab. Or uh, another company may come and say, well, we have a commercial aspect for this and, and we need it to be productionized and made beautiful uh, and have the experience be lovely. Uh, when using it. So that's the kind of thing we do every single day and we've been doing it for 10 years. I think we have over 150 million people using the software and things that we've done. It's someone else's fabulous name. <laughs> so how long have you been the creative director there? Uh, this is year six for me. So it's, I'm still shedding the, the snake skin of the you know, first half decade here. Well, so you were uh, so you worked for Apple. You taught at MIT. What did you do for NCSA? Or well, can you I tell still, us? Well, I still teach at MIT okay. now. Yep. Um, their their product design class um, in the mechanical engineering department and NCSA, which is the National Center for Supercomputing Applications. Uh, you may have heard of a small piece of software called Netscape that erupted from there. Mosaic, right. yeah, um, Mosaic came from there. Yep. Mosaic came out of uh, NCSA. I didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> Their IQs were much, much higher than mine. Uh, so I was just a plebe uh, working on more of the research science of how do you tell complex stories uh, and data visualization back when I think that word was just being born. Uh, this is almost you know, 18 years ago. So uh, it, was, it was a hell of a lot of fun and I groomed my brain a ton. And what about Apple? What did you do out there? Can you, can you talk oh, about I was, that? I was a minion. Uh, that a was minion. actually one of the least exciting experiences of my professional career. How long ago was that then? That must have been a while. First gig out of school, which was over 28 years ago. They weren't very cool back then. Uh, no, 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 no. And in fact, I have like you know scars from the razor blades I was using on my wrists from wanting to get out of there. So uh, it was a lovely experience. <laughs> Just, I, gotta, I can't get out of there fast enough. So I'm going to run over to the NCSA. Well, I mean, talk about a juxtaposition. I mean, again, Billboard, New York Times, NCSA versus Apple. I think that uh, you know a lot of people would give their left nut to be a part of Apple today. Just saying. Uh, yeah, I, I think they wouldn't, and it's it's a much different organization now than it was 20 years ago. In between the the Jobsonian divide, right? Um, so you had uh, you know the German there at the time leading the leading the uh, leading the squad, and that's when cloning came in. The Newton actually came out not so far, and that was an interesting experiment. Very much that led to a lot of other interesting things, um, but in general, it was not it was not a uh, a fabulous company to be at the time. Now, my goodness, it's it's probably pretty interesting, but still, there's grass is always greener. We because I've sort of helped craft my own gig, and two, 
it's a it's a beast when you work for a massive organization like that to think that you're going to have like Im- immediate impact is laughable right uh, so even at the executive level so i these things take years and years to sort of gestate uh, your impact at a big company like that. So it's not like you come in there one, two, three, four years and you're like, wow, I slayed it. Mm, I think you're talking, you know, the decade level in that kind of, uh, you know, organism. Yeah, which is still like the, uh, the half-life of government, right? Yeah, yeah, God, I, I wish government were as good as Google or Apple at the moment. Now it's just, <laughs> that's that's okay. just more depressing. It is. Well, the other side of this is obviously healthcare, right? So healthcare has always been looked at as a, as a, as a, as afraid of change and and uh, well on one hand the technical technological advancements are incredible around uh, disease prevention and awareness making and 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 treating of disease of, of incurable diseases and you know unfortunately I've just gone through this with my with my own mother uh, and watched that deteriorate but the the challenge here is that uh, the perception out there has to be that there is that medicine doesn't move very quickly yet here we are talking about something that you call design is medicine and how they're going to have to eventually start to leverage the ui ux of the other world and non-invasive stuff in order to be able to make our lives better without us knowing it is that ultimately what it comes down to yes should we even continue the conversation that's it done that's i'm over i was blown Uh. away by the presentation you gave in ottawa in, in november um but is is it true that that the medical industry is do they let me ask it do they embrace technology or do they run from new technology? Uh, well, I think it's a it's it's a fuzzy mess, like almost every other industry. Every industry thinks that they're unique and in, uh, uh, they have their own foibles and peccadillos, right? But in reality, we're very much the same as energy. Our health is very much the same as energy, and you know, manufacturing, all these things where. It takes time for people, for humans, to uh, sort of swallow new technology uh, and new processes. It's like, you know, we behavior change. That's why everyone, like, is rushing into behavior change because it takes a long time and it's hard, right? It's, you think you can change your, 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 your life and steps with a Fitbit on your ass, right? Um, doesn't really happen like that. Uh, and so I think every, uh, so the health industry, when you look at it, there are lots of these strata, some move faster and slower, right? So when you're in the hospital, God forbid you actually have to go to one, uh, you know, sometimes they're f- f- fantastic and sometimes they're horrible with the doctor going, I really care about what you're talking about. And their back is to you, their head is to you, they're talking, they're typing on the machine or whatever they're doing or on their dictaphone. It's, it's a really um, ancient experience. It hasn't changed much when you think about how we treat our conditions for thousands of years. It's been pretty much the same. Like we, we roam around, we uh, eat green stuff, uh, drink water, occasionally have sex and procreate, right? Some people have more sex than others. But, you know, as long as we're, I think, feeling okay, hey, we think we're okay. And that's generally true. The problem is then this health happens, right? Whether we expect it or not, or at least want to have it. And... Uh, that's where, the, you know, you talk about the rate of change. Uh, it used to be you go to your tribal leader. They've had 30 years experience in this, right? So they fix it. Now when you go to the hospital, their changes take a lot longer because there's this infra- massive infrastructure they put in. And that's why they're using, you know, IE7 or 8 years to change a damn browser. Um, <laughs> so it, it's just the rate of change uh, really dramatically as uh, at the farther you get away from the creamy center. Right, yep. which is the basic hospital systems, and uh, you play in the same. You understand that same space. Most people in the developed world, or whatever euphemistic term you want to use, have access to hospitals, and they're the slowest. But the little micro clinics, the doctors who are on their bicycles, or electric bicycles, and coming with you with their, uh, you know, Android phones and Scanadus, you know, that's a different ballgame. It is, but you know, it, it strikes me as odd that that a lot of the companies that are attacking the health industry are looking at, uh, at, at things like mundane things like health records and records management and, and, uh, and being able to get the diagnoses into the system faster. But are they really fundamentally changing the process around which we actually get health um, while we, we learn about our health? They're not, are they? Well, uh, currently the mighty dollar uh, dictates a lot of you know, how you're treated. Right. Um, quality of outcomes, hmm, you know, not quite <laughs> as important. Uh, it's, you know, like a Ford factory uh, for your cars. You know, you, you just punch people in, punch people in, go, go, go. 
uh, you uh, claim your insurance, you get your ICD-10 uh, code, uh, that gets processed and then the hospital gets paid and then you, the physician, gets paid and rarely has anything to do with the quality of your service or the quality of your long-term health, right? They just want to put a Band-Aid or Bactine squirt and, you know, or rip something out of your stomach because it costs, you know, 50 times more to open you up with a knife than it does laparoscopically. Right. Um, and, and but now, fortunately, uh, at least in the United States, because uh, you know, it's the center of my little micro universe, because um, the rest of the planet doesn't matter. Uh, but <laughs> they they're you know, they're, the uh, Affordable Care Act and other uh, slower moving laws are are attempting to push quality and outcomes and make them transparent uh, across the public. So then I can go look up, well, how is a hospital doing in uh, treating heart attacks, right? But at a detailed level, not a uh, detailed level, not just are you supplying aspirin and things like that, but what are the outcomes in the long term uh, for every individual? That I think is really key to, to get that change going. Sorry, I did round slowly back to your question is, uh, it's just, there are lots of different levels of health uh, lots of big organizations that are hard for them to move and they don't ha want to move because they're in a financial situation where they're already sort of screwed. Right. Right. So that opens up, you know, for the pseudo health companies like I wear a Fitbit, I've tried them all. Right. But but that must, you know, we're starting to see a great movement in the sensor world around wearable technology, not just on the wrist or on the head or the glasses or whatever. But, you know, um, they're looking at medical as a first uh, place to attack for for uh, wearable fabrics, right? Sensors in the fabrics. But it, so does that is that why these companies are emerging because they think that there's a good opportunity in in helping diagnose like in diagnostically help uh you know healthcare providers or is um, it just commercial well i i think it's uh, again multivariate uh, multivariable problem is that one humans i think have this innate thing where they don't want I, well, in general, these these are episodic issues that we have, right? When you break your arm or you find something uh, growing in your uh, back, like the radishes are starting to, you know, come out of your shoulder. That's already freaking too late. Yeah. Right. And so it's these periodic things, these rare spikes that require this extreme intervention. It's like management by exception, like all the software world. It's like seagull management. You come in and poop on people like the doctors do, the doctor gods. And then, uh, you know, you get your micro treatment and then you're out of there. But that sucks. That's not the way humans and nature works. Usually nature self heals. Right. And we're trying to fight nature that way. Um, and uh, that's something that I think that is critical to how we're going to treat health in the future. So you talk about your Fitbits, you talk about all these little micro devices. They're cute. Um, and I, I, you know, in the design studio, I think that we've got, you know, they're 12 of us here, almost everybody has some kind of health device on, right? Whether it's the basis watch or, you know, the body media band, which I've had on for six years. Um, and we have like three or four scales, you know, scattered across. Yeah, we're a little insane. Um, but that's part of, part of the problem is that the batch of current wearables is that they're just wearable and require a ton of overhead. There's this mental overhead that I think uh, requires you to put the the Withings Pulse in your pocket every morning. That requires a pair of pants. Sometimes I'm not wearing them, <laughs> right? Um, but that's my biggest beef. Is like you, they're they're for me. I call them the non-forgettables because the second you forget it, it's over, right? right? Um, so I think um, the question is is form factor isn't the question um, because no form factor really probably hits it on the head. Maybe it's the implant but it's definitely the invisible, right? And so when, when also when you think about devices, uh, so I'm going on a little small rant here, but hardware really is the gateway drug to data for the most part, right? So if you're planning to get into heart, the health hardware, it's almost too late, I'm a little, being a little facetious, but it's, it's so, the current device lineup that we're wearing has little to do with the commodity of hardware and all about your information decision-making. That's where it is. So then the flip side of that is, do off times really matter from a wellness point of view, right? So imagine having your little Fitbit or whatever the hell it is, but I, when I'm starting to feel sick, I put it on, and then all of a sudden now that dramatically reduces my symptoms and my duration of sickness by like 50%. Hmm. Now that's a device I'd freaking wear. Yeah, no kidding. Right? Versus now it's just, it's just uh, it's giving me a little bit of insight, allowing me to know my numbers and then do maybe slight behavior changes, but you know, it ain't there yet. 
Yeah, it's more, you're exactly that. And, and the measure of steps, which is predominantly what these things measure, um, and, and heart rate, and maybe respiratory or pulse ox or whatever you want to do it, um, they are in themselves just flat out data, but they're not, I don't think that those change behavior, right? 10,000 steps, if I hit those, it doesn't mean that I'm a healthy guy, right? It doesn't, no. it, it might be a step well, towards it. Healthier, maybe. Healthier, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a healthy guy, I can't hit 10,000 steps in a day. Who's got that much time, right? Well, you, you, get, you get a walking desk and then you can do it. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm dead. Can you imagine doing this walking? I did it well, with Well, I, I started it. Uh, so I have to eat my own dog food a little bit. Um, but uh, we like half of us now in the studio have standing desks because, uh, you know, Mayo Clinic a, like a year ago said that uh, sitting is the new smoking, right? <laughs> um, and uh, so then I have a, a little treadmill underneath there, which I probably use about only about half the time. Um, have I noticed a huge impact? No, but I definitely feel a little more energetic and things like that. Uh, I, and I, but the biggest impact is just standing every yeah. day. That is just remarkable. Well, I have a, a, a friend of mine. His name is Worley. Uh, he runs, uh, he's a co-founder of uh, an organization out in Austin called Chaotic Moon. And I've done interviews with him like this when he's on, been on his uh, walking desk. And it's like, it's, you know, the first 10 minutes are great and, and he's a healthy guy. And then by, by, by like 40 minutes in, he's got like, you know, beads of sweat going down his forehead. I mean, I, it, it's, it sounds like a good idea, but uh, I suppose that's what it would take me to get to 10,000 steps. I try, I try, I try, but I go to the gym instead. Okay, no, so listen, we got to talk about this is that you, you said something about health happens like there's there's this in your presentation, uh, there, there is basically this this great timeline of, you know, where we were way back in the day, as you started to explain around uh, tribe elders to, to where we are right now, which extends into kind of, um, you know, uh, the way things are diag uh, diagnosed is a little bit more sophisticated, shall we say, with people who have x-rays and see inside of the body. But, uh, you know, what, walk me through that continuum to the point where we are today. And then I want to talk about this kind of life first, health second, uh, sensors, invisible sensors that do everything for you and report uh, on, on, your, uh, on your health status uh, behind the scenes based on doing things that are everyday things that we do already, like, like going pee, right? So yeah, it's a big swath, but like walk walk through this if you can uh, from from the, from the start to the end, if you will. Okay, uh, well, this the if you look at the last couple thousand years, we're still stuck in this land of episodic treatment, right? Both in terms of thinking, in terms of engineering and designing our health. So um, humans don't want to think about health the same as a thousand years ago. So that freaking hasn't changed at all. No, well, we're um, stubborn. We we humans are stubborn. Yeah, we're stubborn. Um, we don't away. evolve that quickly. It's very slow, uh, contrary to what we want to believe. Um, but, you know, part of what, what my, uh, the forcing function for me in how we're going to become a healthier species and probably evolve faster, and this is, that, that this is going to get sort of uh, uh, 1984 very quickly, is that there's this idea of a surveillance invasion that we've been sort of a part of for the past, you know, decade and a half. Where, you know, I, I, the the uh, the example that I've fetishized probably incorrectly is you know the Voigtkampf machine. This is something I mentioned. Is that in Blade Runner? There's that device that the um, interrogator slash judge puts on the uh, table in his talk with Leon, who's the you know the uh, skin. Uh, what was the I forgot the term that they used, but he was the robot basically. Right. This is really beautiful awesome looking device that sat there that looked right at your eye and did a retinal scan. It looked at sort of behavioral issues. Um, look, for most part, all that sensor tech, that there's this confluence of, of engineering, of, you know, data analytics maturity and, you know, this hardware durability and evolution. It's pretty amazing. And all this miniaturization that's going on that is really a forcing function for what we're going to get soon as a, you know, prediction modeling. And we're going to have these types of devices. Maybe they're not going to be look like that, but they're going to have this, uh, you know, retinal scanning. They're going to have look, look at what uh, the Xbox One is doing. Or the new one is they're looking at your BP through the camera, and then directly changing the in-game experience based on the player's blood pressure. How freaking awesome is that? It's crazy. Right? It's crazy. crazy awesome, but also yeah. I mean, it's key, but. I mean, this, that just screams the set-top box is going to be one of these invisible touch points for you and your health, right? So I think that is like a, a really fantastic thing. So I think machines are about to sync with humans in a whole new way. 
And one of those big ones, which you sort of taught, you know, hinted about is peeing. I think the bathroom is really going to turn into this invisible sensor haven. Um, because shouldn't it be telling you after you do a number one, number two, or whatever you've done, that your dosage of your medication is too high or it's too low? Um, the room should automatically collect you uh, data, like you slough off a ton of your biome in the bathroom <laughs> and everywhere else. You know, I do my uh, my whatever I'm drinking in my coffee at the moment. <laughs> um, I'm sloughing off, you know, my unique ID right on there, on the handle. Um, I'm doing that all the time on, on the on the counters of my bathroom uh, and uh, my hair follicles, all that kind of stuff. Should be able to tell me more than it does today, which is zero, zero. right? So I think this, when we get to the space where health uh, or health just happens automatically and beautifully, and you get this report in the mirror that you know for the base uh, based on your eating habits for the past couple of days, you know you're going to lose three days of your life, you want, right? Or you know guess what? You know now that we look at it over the past year, not just those 45 and a half Twinkies, but the 1,400 hamburgers and French fry combinations just dropped you six years of your life. Right, that kind of uh, uh, club uh, is going to, I think, work wonders uh, because the last thing you want to do is take a picture of your your food and annotate it and have a food diary. We know uh, that that just is 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 over, right? It's just a sign of the technology that we we're not yet over that hump. But that I think that idea of it just happening, where there's like no mental or physical overhead, and then you get these regular feedback loops, then I think the bathroom is going to turn into your health room. And this is a lot like, you know, Gattaca. This is a lot like uh, uh, Woody Allen's uh, Sleeper, that movie, you know, with the orgasmatron. I wish health were that fabulous. Um, <laughs> but that's, that is just screaming for designers, engineers, and health aficionados to make something that amazing of an experience. Because until we get there, it's this land of episodic uh, engagements. It is, and, and, and you know, it's it's so fascinating to think along those lines. Um, do you think that something like that, like that that perfect, uh, you know, I don't even know, petri dish, which is the bathroom? Do you think that enabling sensors like that is a is a rich man's game? Do you think that there's going to be a greater divide between the people who have those things, like the people who have a Fitbit or an iPad or something like that, versus the people who don't, who can't afford it? Well, I think initially that's going to be uh, a a have and have not case. Yeah. However, what I think is uh, an equalizer there is you see many, many big um, investments happening in the at least in the United States on concentrating on the 30 million who are uninsured, who do not, who are not having uh, extra cash to go get a micro device or even a scale or blood pressure cuff. Mm -hmm. um, the second you can nail that target. Um, uh, and that sounds uh, very military-esque, uh, but uh, probably not right. But if you can, if you can help th that population become more in touch with what's happening in their biology and make those shifts uh, and do it beautifully, I think you're going to have uh, a sea change. Because guess who's going to take it up if when you know when they when they see results there. I mean, so yes, and technology generally gets cheaper mm -hmm. really quickly. I mean, you've got. You know, one nanometer resolution spectrometers coming out for like 15 bucks. It's crazy. That is f amazing when, you know, for people with food allergies, uh, you know, they got a peanut allergy, they can just snap a picture of their food or, I mean, and this is like, I'm getting back to the picture thing, or they just wave their phone over it and all of a sudden it, it picks up at the atomic level almost, right? Or the cellular level, oh, there's, you know, X percent of peanut in that. Right, and they know that there's a threshold there. If it's like you know over 0.00001 percent or whatever, that they're gonna uh, keel over. Uh, but that that is like a fifteen dollar or less kind of technology at the moment, uh, and it's coming. It's in the lab now, so it's not like these. these this is sci-fi at all. The future is here. Do you think that uh, it's uh, you know uh, my wife accuses me all the time of being a fanatic around this stuff right so you know i've tried to I, i've done everything so you know uh I, you know I've, I've watched what i've taken in i've gone through you know some uh, you know daily calorie consumption and and uh, and balance that and I, I wear one of these things and if uh, you know 
I, I'd like, you know, I'm looking at uh, my sleep patterns and all that kind of stuff, right? So I'm one of those guys. I exercise quite regularly. Um, but do you think it's like um, that there's this fanatic stage that this happens at where the early adopters come in and they do all of this stuff and then they prove out the market? Because it is relatively unproven at this moment, right? Like, you know, all of this technology could be could be useless, like like a Fitbit. Yeah, sure. So are we uh, are some of us now in the front of the S curve when it comes to this? Yeah. Sure. Right. Um, but there there are things that we've known for, again, for thousands of years that are uh, good for us and we still ignore them yes. right? because we're human and we're nitwits. You know, we like, like cake, uh, man. We like cake. Bingo. I mean, if we ate relatively decent, right, if we had more green stuff in our diet, uh, had the occasional uh, tasty meat stick, right? Uh, and uh, had a lot less food in general. I mean, you think about the, the difference in the population health, right? Uh, we're just getting fatter and more disgusting. Um, and this is you know, self-inflicted, right? And so, right, we can, we can have all the devices we want, um, but if we don't actually move a little more, eat a little better and re eat real food, you know, uh, and uh, eat a little bit less, and there are lots of these tenants which are universal for the for humans. Start there, and then we then you know the technology can just amplify it. Do you think that we become lazy with this kind of stuff? You know, because you're right. I, I just whenever you describe that, I think back to like that scene in Wall-E where they're floating up in space because they got they destroyed the right. Earth and they had to fly off, and they're all fat people who don't walk anymore. But like, do you think that we get lazy, or we look to these devices or all these sensors as a way of of kind of I don't know. The, the the quick the quick fit kind of solution i don't even know how to describe it but that you know if oh i'm wearing a fitbit because i see i see people wearing fitbit and i'm like but don't eat the burger right or don't eat that cake or put the cigarette down i mean there's a like there's there's a there's a conflict there so do you think we get lazy because of these things yeah hu again humans uh, are really good at justifying in the short term Right, and so you, you mentioned the. Uh, I'm wearing a device. I'm getting some steps in. I get an extra thousand steps in, and then I'm going to go chow on a huge, massive, you know, a meat burger uh, uh, that's been grown on, you know, the Cowschwitzes of the in Texas. Right. Um, uh, so, uh, and we also are really bad at looking at the long now. Are horrible at it. Long now, I love and, that. Uh, so uh, I stole that from Stuart Brand. You know, clock along now. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. We have to do a much better job at, at seeing that, right? So that's why I mentioned, well, great, if, if I'm getting these constant feedback loops that are sort of, uh, you know, that I'm not actively engaged in all the time in terms of putting the data in, and it shows me what kind of life I'm going to live, right? And says, hey, look at this. All of a sudden now, uh, for, based on that last week, um, it'll, it'll change your life this way. I think that's a, a big sort of moment in health versus the, the micro justifications that we do every day with these micro devices. I just, you know, it's a very temporary excuse. And, but it fits the biology of our brains, though. You know, we're hunter-gatherers at heart, man, right? We're, let me go stab my food, frickin' cook it, and done. Well, what about, you know, I, it, it's so, it's fascinating because, you know, I see, I, I see um, people attacking this industry, like not, not physically or, you know, verbally attacking it, but they're, they're going after this in-home market, right? So they're talking about the connected living room and the connected home and everything like that. And then I look at the, at this health side of it, which is, which is of, of great uh, a pressing issue, but you've got the balance between like the home entertainment and the couch sitters, and then you've got the living room and the, or the di or the bathroom. Sorry, as the as the way to uh, you know justify your health or figure out what your health is like. But it all comes down to uh, like an interface of some sort, and the Xbox could be that for the living room, and the idea of, of the mirror on the you know as your as your computer readout for your for your body and your biometrics and your health status. But there has to be you almost have to take it out of the medicine, right? Out, out of the medical realm and put a good user interface on that like Microsoft did with the Xbox in order to be able to get it functional. So your idea of basically sitting back and saying, you know, th those nine burgers you had over the last two weeks cost you, you know, 47 days of life. Is that what it's going to take for people to turn it around? Is that what we're looking for, that number? Yeah, well, numbers uh, can be liberating and dangerous both, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so... 
uh, you bring up an interesting point uh, that it's it's we first let's I mean part of it is first we need the data in some ways right it's like we're getting the bio let's do this sort of exercise or at least uh, the mental calculus and, and envision it for a minute right is that you're getting your biome, you're doing the emotional analysis, you're doing breath evaluation, these are you know, new technologies coming out, voice analysis. You can use your phone uh, and listen to uh, your voice and tell you in advance if uh, you know, a cold's coming on a week in advance, or God forbid you're getting Parkinson's or something like this, right? Um, all these, you know, I think these bots ultimately are gonna be coursing through our stomachs and our bloodstreams, right? At the molecular level, and they're gonna be gathering intel. Okay, so we're going to be seeing disease and conditions erupt at the cellular level, not when they physically manifest on our bodies when we can see them. That that's where it's too late at that point, right? It's too goddamn late. So if health is beautifully integrated into our everyday life, um, so that we're getting these continuous assessments on how to adjust in near real time, I think that's a step one of this whole thing. Um, the step two of that, then then you get into this thing as well. What's the um, how do we start looking at that data, right? So I think we're going to have these little services that are, I don't know what we're going to call them, they're almost like guards, these digital services that like pound up on my massive data sets and look at prior patterns, look at predicted patterns to identify trends, how do I get healthy, how do I reduce my sickness exponentially, that's going to be the second step, right? Because I think my family and my data are going to be actively guarded, just like uh, you know, Citibank for me is one of my banks, and they have this anti-fraud detection thing, right? Right. Where for ten bucks a month, it monitors every transaction of mine across Spaceship Earth, and it then it notifies me if something is a little bit off, right? So I think this kind of model is going to come, a la Netflix, where you you punch over a dollar, a thousand dollars a month, whatever you know that deems to be to look over and protect my data, probably proxy my data, know who's touched it, predicts behavior, and teases out my behavior so I can live a longer, healthier life. So I think that's, that's you know, the, that in conjunction with the hyper-personalized medicine where when it detects something at the cellular level that it pops out the medicine at the local uh, pharmacy based on my genome and uh, all my goodies, uh, I just pick it up in a dye pack and you know, good, good to go. I think those are the two or three steps that are going to help get there. Now you're getting, you talked about the resistance. I think you're seeing a lot of resistance from the doctors themselves, yeah. the doctor gods. Um, but ultimately I think we're going to do what orbits did to travel agents, right? Orbits destroy the travel agent industry. No longer you go to your mom's cousin's best friend who lives in the center of town to book you a flight to, uh, uh, to the green zone in Iraq, right? Now you're saying, yep, uh, I'm just doing it all online beautifully in the confines of my boxer shorts and tank top at home, right? Uh, that is what we're doing basically that medical technology design and culture shifts are doing to the doctors right now. So they're rightfully pissed because they're going to have to change dramatically. And this thing, BS. Well, I wonder what, I mean, what, what happens with this next generation of doctor, right? Uh, the, the evolution, it takes, a, it takes a number of cycles to work. But I, like, I agree with you is that this is, this is ripe for disruption. And that's, I wonder why people are focused on, on, I mean, I can understand why people are focused on the entertainment space because it's open, right? Uh, the connected car, the connected home, all of those things that we hear, the garage door opening uh, openers uh, of the world. Um, the Sonos, like Sonos is a beautiful thing. Um, or the Hue, which to me is a useless tool, right? It's so what? Um, but those, you, those are very constrained problem sets. Absolutely, right? Right. Biology is freaking hard. Yes. And we don't know it very well, right? In comparison to like, well, let me let me pump current through some wires and then have a signal tell it to turn off and on. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it's just a different. Completely but it's not cool. It's not cool like this, right? Like that's the thing is that you know I start to think about you know what the real impact is of what we're talking about here around this kind of invisible uh, network, a mesh network almost of of sensors about your your life and your existence, and and you kind of wake up and realize that you know it, it, it's it's important and it can have such a massive impact. Uh, and then you look over and you see the hue turning green to yellow because you're in a you know your depressed mood. Um, but that, that is it's just such a weird place. I understand that there's a huge challenge getting into the medical industry, changing things around this thing. But but I look at the guys who are doing this, great, huge opportunity. I look at car manufacturers as well, right? I sit in my car, 30 minutes to work, two times a day. What could they be soaking off of me in order to be able to make my life better, right? 
-hmm. Like there's opportunities like that. So do you think that it's just, it's just a, a, you know, back to my very original question. Do you think that it's just the perception that it's so hard to be, to get engaged in this space into the medical space that everybody just looks away from it? No, I think you're seeing a stampede into the medical space. Oh, good. Uh, I mean, I live in a town that, uh, that grosses, or this 30% of healthcare GDP arrives in the one square mile around the studio. Uh, healthcare GDP of the United States. Again, I'm United States focused, yep. uh, for better or worse. Um, so I think you're hearing a, a, a massive uh, pile of, of individuals jumping onto this bandwagon. And plus, there's been a lot of money thrown at it. Um, and I think people care more once they... Um, uh, once they get a little older, you know, past 20 when we're invincible and we do no wrong, and 30, you're like, okay, I'm pretty good, and 40, I'm just finding out, wow, now life is going to hell, right, <laughs> uh, in the nicest possible way. But look, this space that we're in is increasingly multidimensional, right? It's not a flat decision space, uh, you know, where, you know, the uh, lights are a little flatter. Um, and we are also linear thinking human beings, and we're not good at nonlinear thinking, right? And so doing all these, the mental calculus and, and just understanding the space is hard and, and really quite difficult. And then having the biological understanding of what's happened. I don't, I mean, I went to a, an amazing uh, in vitro fertilization clinic last week uh, in New York where uh, I didn't understand all the, the, uh, the biology, well, I understand the, the basics, right, of what's happening there. But what that's they're good, doing, that's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, is they're, they're, it's not just in vitro anymore. We're fetal tuning. Yeah. So the, we are now designing babies. So this is the, the more interesting part to me. I mean, there's a, there's a slippery slope there, which we've gone down already two decades ago into this space. So, like, it's over. There's no going back. Um, but we are actually genetically engineering babies at the eight cell level. So once, you know, it splits once in day one, day two, it goes to four cells and then it gets to eight cells. On the, the day three, when it's at eight cells, we're taking out one of those cells, doing genomics testing on it. But guess what's going to happen is we're doing the dips switches of, oh, hmm, this one, you know, CF is uh, present here, toss those. Oh, but we don't need to toss those anymore so we can just change almost DNA and genomics on the fly. And we're going to be engineering uh, our next species so it's too late for us we're screwed um <laughs> our current spawn probably screwed as well yeah. um they'll live probably 20 years longer than us but i think that next generation will be an, the next evolution of the species whether we like it or not i mean you just see it i'm, I'm the fact that i saw that last week in new york was just like yeah the future's here it, it's so, happening right now yeah <laughs> i don't know where to go from here i i want to i, I want to know the the um what, what does this do for you just kind of mentioned it a little bit uh what does this do for our quality of life like you know this these kind of advances this motion towards that i'm not talking about the two generations from now that can live till 200 but what does that do you know soaking up our our excess body you know refuse what does that do and analyzing what does that do for our quality of life do you think it does anything well quality of life yeah. the, the whole hope of this i think this entire movement uh or again whatever you want to call it is that we have a m much healthier, longer life. It's like the, the, the analog here is that when you go to uh, Kmart or Sears or your electronic store of choice, you buy a washing machine and you bring that thing home and it, it either dies instantaneously, goes up in smoke, right? And it just, and it, you get to the house and it's over, or it works beautifully for a very, very long time until the, at the very end there's this catastrophic failure and blam, the thing blows up, it's over. But it lasts 20 years, you never have to think about it. I think actually we're, you know, are we there yet in, in our health system? Hell no. But that's, I think, what um, pro probably we're trying to strive towards is how can I beautifully live for a hundred years, not have this road to perdition after I'm 19, or for women it's you know 25 or whatever it is. For guys, we're, we have this short window. Poof, it's over. It's gone. Like a lot of other things in our life, but um, <laughs> there's this road to death, you know, and that sucks for everybody. And I think it's this idea where no, 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 no. It's this idea of this inverse bathtub curve graph where born pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, and then catastrophic failure, and you're over. At right, the right moment, but you, you haven't sacrificed anything in between. You, like, 
Well, yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, I think there are going to be small degradations there, but like that's 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 my hope that we're designing uh, how we're designing our health. What do you think is the where are the opportunities here for entrepreneurs at this moment? You know, I, I, the way I see it is that all this data is being collected somewhere. So there's got to be somebody very simply who disseminates and displays the number, my magic number, for example, whatever it might be. But um, where, where do you think the opportunities are sitting at this moment? Well, whoever gets in, whoever makes the first real, uh, the valid, the first well-validated prediction model, uh, and I think that's going to happen in the next, you know, 365 days. Mm -hmm. um, whoever gets in there, and maybe it's only five percent wrong or something, whatever that algorithm is, I think that's a huge opportunity for people, right. uh, for businesses. Is what's the life algorithm? What's my prediction algorithm based on what data I know about you? And over time, there's more and more data coming in. Whether it's my financial data that's coming in, because that's already pretty well documented, because people care much more about their dollars than they do their health or you know their travel or you know their home mortgage or their family all these things coming in and like once someone makes a really good or at least decent uh, prediction i think that's going to be a, a really good business model uh to take off i think the digital guards the one i mentioned before is, is mm -hmm. not horrible um so those are two off the top of my head that are more on the digital side i think also there's an opportunity to get into policy here for designers and engineers, because we tend not to think about policy as much, uh, whether you're in uh, north of the border where you are or uh, on, on a more interesting place in the planet, you know, uh, elsewhere uh, than the U.S. Uh, the U.S. and Canada have their issues in terms of, you know, crafting policy. It takes an enormously long time. But if you're not in that game sometime in your life, I think you don't see how the sausage is made. And also it's a lot less, uh, you get neutered by just, you know, dancing on the head of the fashion industry, which is design, right? Or an infrastructure, which is a little less uh, fast moving. But uh, as this, where am I trying to go with this? If you really need to see how policy works and you need to have a stamp on it, I think it's, it should be a required citizenship um, or a mode of citizenship where you have to be involved in that and see how it affects people. And that's where there's a complete lack of design. Yeah. I can, there's there's a, a little bit more engineering because you have organizations like IEEE or HL7 or all these guys or ANSI that are engineering focused because they don't want the, the the pipes that are running our refuse into you know the Pacific Ocean uh, to break on uh, you know in Nevada uh, or in Los Angeles they want it to break way offshore so you know up in Canada up. yes up in Canada so it floats upward yes. Um, so there, there are more engineering specs. I think there's a big vacuum for design and policy as well. So, I mean, that's another place. Well, it's not necessarily a big money maker, but I think it's something that as world citizens, we should engage much more into. I, I totally agree, 100%. I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting question that you bring up because a lot of people are focusing on, on the implications of the technology, the sensor world, and, and what it can do to the individual. Um, but it, it has to flow up upwards like that. What about... What about um, you know, it strikes me as I'm listening to it. It's it's a weird thing that goes through my head. Is that um, are we trying to do this to eliminate our decision making process? Like it's almost like you know what uh, a lot of people say is that I, I just you know my alarm goes off, it wakes me up. My phone rings, I pick it up. My my text message, you know, somebody sends me a text message, it dings. You know, uh, I, I get notification on my phone that the television show that I want to watch is on. Um, I, I you know I now type in a, an address in my uh, you know in Google Maps and it takes me there without me having to actually decide turning left or right on my own. And now all of a sudden you elevate this up where it's it's like you know what the hair follicles are going to the sink, they're getting analyzed. My pee is getting analyzed. You know all that kind of stuff. And it's like okay, eat this, drink this, don't do this, do this, have sex go and do this boom 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 so it's almost like what we're trying to do is we're trying to eliminate the human decision because humans are the problem ultimately aren't they well is that too big a question for this We've no no it's it's, it's an, it, i don't think we're trying to uh, we're trying to amplify our understanding right right so i think there's some people who are going to not want to think about it like at at all and they're just going to set it and forget it just give me a pill and i'll and whatever well, I, I think it, it, it's probably not just a pill or a device or you know a thing like that. I think I don't think it's going to be just that. Um, I think it's going to be a cavalcade of these services. But um, I think ultimately our education as uh, humans has to really uh, up level in terms of health, mm -hmm. right? So we're down here, doctors are you know wherever they are. I think ultimately we're 
the w water is rising so that we have to get a little more understanding uh, of all this. And the problem here is that we've got, we're sort of swamped with conflicting data currently, right? Um, where rarely are the artifacts driving decisions coordinated or presented well at all. Yeah. Um, so I think we're in that current state. When it gets to be a more beautiful, integrated experience, I think then we're going to relish having additional amplification amp uh, aspects to our health. So I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, it's hands off the dashboard, um, but it's a lot more help. Yeah. It's, we can't see into our bloodstream, right? I mean, we can see, there are a few places, you open your mouth, right? You look in your eyes, your eyes are an amazing resource um, to look into. Uh, you could actually see blood vessels without, you know, cutting the skin. Yep. But typically we don't see what's happening there and we need help. So the more nanobots we have flowing through our systems to say, hey, psst, Rob, Yuhan, uh, you may want to get this checked out or, you know, get, get a little more information about what's happening here. I think the, the more interested we're going to be with what's happening with our bodies. Where does it start? I mean, for me, I, I mean, I quit smoking. You know, like the hardest thing, I'm, uh, you know, ever to do on the planet um, you know, aside from maybe quitting heroin and, you know, something that's a little bit harder than nicotine, but for you me, Rob, pardon me, you and Rob Ford. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, he's got his challenges. Um, but, but when it quitting smoking, I used a product in 1999, I, it's, it's 15 years this March that I quit, but I used a product called LifeSign. And the reason I used it was because it, it told me when I was, uh, when I should have a cigarette, when I should not have a cigarette, it wasn't like a, it was a cessation program. I didn't, I don't believe in like taking nicotine and injecting it into my system in order to quit nicotine, right? It just didn't, didn't make sense. So it's a little computer. This is before smartphones where, uh, you know, I programmed uh, whenever I smoked, I, I hit a button and it said I smoked, I smoked, I smoked. And I did that for a week. And then what it did is, uh, the, you know, the eighth day, it told me when to smoke. So then, it, you know, it, you know, it timed out the number of cigarettes and then gradually over four weeks reduced my cigarette smoking to, to nothing. Fifteen years later, smoke free. So I relied on that as a way for me to quit smoking. It, it was the decision maker. Up to me, I'd still be smoking because it was so on. it was so good. So do you think that like so that was it for me, right, where I had that moment where I'm like, you know, I'm OK to, to relinquish control for the betterment of my body, right? So now the question is, where do we think, what is, what is the catalyst for the rest of the human population to be able to go through? Is it, is it that simple? Is it, is, it, uh, you know, is, it, um, is it that low level? Where does it start? Well, again, we as, as a species are fickle and uh, that worked beautifully for you, yes. right? Uh, and it may not work for me because of my emotional state, because I'm rather unstable, uh, and uh, that my, you know, my uh, heroin had, uh, uh, addiction is going to uh, play as a significant variable in there, um, the fact that I'm doing X, Y, and Z, right? So I think the idea of not one a bullet, silver bullet for everybody is going to work. So I think that's another reason why these hyper-personalized medicine you know, uh, diatribes you hear are actually, there's some relevance there because everyone's emotional status alongside their life status is quite different. Right. And you're gonna have different things hitting you and different ways that you're going to need to be uh, forced into behaviors that you're not used to sometimes. And that's not gonna work for you, what works for me, right? So I think there's going, but let's face it, there are probably a few basic core tenets that every human should be doing, right? Uh, so I think once we grow from that, there'll be other ways to sort of rope everyone in. Uh, yeah, you know what? I just never take that into consideration that, you know, having the data, uh, straight up data from your body, and then having the data from your environment, and then having the data from your emotional state, the, the pressure, right? So you, you mentioned it earlier, it's, it's like, how many zeros in your bank account or negative in your bank account? Uh, you know, what's your living arrangement? What's your relationship with your kids? All those kind of things factor into the fact that that hair falling into the sink and analyzed, that's just one number in a greater, greater, greater scope of, of challenges that you might have against you or bonuses against you, right? Yeah. Socioeconomic state. Well, it's, it's fascinating. This, I, I want to end with this one great quote. It was the last slide of your presentation. It says like, you know, we talk about this throughout this whole thing about invisible detection. Uh, but you say invisible detection or when it is visible, it has to be beautiful to engage with, right? That That has got to be the key for this whole piece is that it can't be a new learned behavior for the humans. Is that what you mean by that? No, I, 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 so you're, that's damn close. So yes, uh, you have to design when, when 
a service is invisible, then you don't really, it's, that's one kind of design. Yeah. But then when I have to engage with something, it should be designed to feel wonderful, right? Because I want to be able to think more about life and think a hell of a lot less about health and security, right? So, you know, I know that sounds, I sound, this sounds a little cheesy and, you know, but I want to focus on my dreams. I don't want to focus on health. Who the hell does, right? <laughs> So uh, when you touch something, when you smell it, when you engage with it, yes, beauty and elegance and being lovely, I think, is critical. And the rest of the time, it's, I don't even want to detect it. It just happens, right? So I think that, that there's a combination there, which uh, we're going to have to figure out what plays best. Man. You know, you and I could speak with you all day about this stuff, um, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to stop here and then I'm going to have you back on after th this technology does emerge, maybe in 365 days or sooner. We were discussing right before. Maybe that's too often for us to connect with. Right. Uh, minds will be blown. Um, <laughs> uh, so where should we send? Like, I've got to. So goinvo.com is for Involution Studios. That's the that is your uh, where you're our creative director. And you've got uh, this great presentation. Uh, at designismedicine.com. That's where I should send people, those two spots? Sounds good. Yeah, designismedicine.com. His presentation that uh, that he did for uh, UX Camp Ottawa is up there, and uh, it is stellar. It tells a great story. Uh, but what I would strongly suggest you do is show up to where Johan is speaking at next, where he's going to be talking about this live, because it's much, 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 much greater in person. It's amazing in person. Well, you're being too kind. Now, the thing we just released as of yesterday. Yes. Are talk about some basic things to do. I don't know if you can see this. Hold it's it up a bit more. Yeah, a bit more. Perfect. It's they're called health axioms. They're like rules, like you know, to live by, like uh, a couple dozen mantras for patients in order to change themselves, for them to change the healthcare system. So it's open source. You can look at it at healthaxioms.com, but you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and I'm pretty proud of these guys. But uh, it's it's just a very simple. You talk about the antithesis of technology, right? <laughs> I want to put a little. I use these with my kids. I have a little. One of these cards is called a wash your hands, right? And so I put it in the mirror uh, in the bathroom to make sure you know after every visit, wash your damn hands, boys. You know, behavioral change, just like that, right? In 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 cue cards, basically. That's the hope. Just a very, very low-tech idea. Oh, man. Well, that's, <laughs> I love that. Healthaxioms.com or through, uh, through Amazon. I love this. I love this conversation, Yuan. Uh, I uh, appreciated your, uh, your presentation uh, immensely when I watched it live. Uh, it was stellar. Uh, and this has not let down, that's for sure. So no worries there. Um, I can't wait till the next time we actually uh, connect in person again to continue this conversation. Thank you for doing this. It was my pleasure. All right, we have been speaking with Johan Sonnen. Uh, go to um, uh, goinvo.com or designismedicine.com or healthaxioms.com. Uh, I know you found tremendous value in this, so not, why not reach out? Let me know. Reach out, let uh, Johan know as well. Just, you know, I don't know, a tweet, an email, I don't care. Just reach out and let us know what you thought of this episode. It would be very, very, very appreciative. appreciated. But that's it for this episode. We will see you next time on Untether.tv. Thanks, Johan. <laughs>